Welcome to another chapter of Saints and Sinners Unplugged. I am Pastor Ken Jones. I am joined by Pastors David Menendez, Aldo Leon, and Jose Prada. Over the last few weeks, in honor of the Protestant Reformation celebrated October 31st, we have been, for the month of October, spending our time talking about um, issues re uh, related to the Protestant Reformation. We've talked about some of the key doctrines. We've talked about the event itself, uh, the nailing of the 95 Theses on the church door at Wittenberg, which was really a call for debate on issues of concern, doctrinal matters, uh, by Luther calling the church to dispute these matters or to debate them. We've also looked at the historical uh, precursors to the Reformation. We've mentioned individuals like Peter Waldo, John Huss, and John Wycliffe. Really got into the issue of uh, priesthood of believers, uh, critical issues that, that carried over from the 13th century all the way through the 16th century Reformation itself, particularly the distinction between the transubstantiation view of the Eucharist versus Christ being offered by God once and for all as the sacrifice, and we are being given as a means of grace uh, the emblems of the broken body and shed blood of Christ rather than sacrificing him all over again. And we closed last week by talking about um, the priesthood of believers. Uh, we've established from a number of scriptures, and this was a critical uh, teaching, especially articulated by Luther and others, the importance of the fact that we individually, by virtue of our faith in Christ, all have equal access to the throne room of God or the Holy of Holies as it's presented in the scriptures, that we are individually united to Christ and therefore Christian clergy is not a mediator. They are ministers who are serving the finished work of Christ. We have talked about the importance of authority. Uh, now, building on that, uh, because when you, especially when you talk about authority, we're not saying, and this was a concern, I think, on the part of some of the Roman Catholic critics at the time of the Reformation, that if that is the case, if you, A, give every Christian equal access to the Scriptures, and B, you tell them that they can equally go to Christ on their own or go to God on their own without the need of a priest, and C, you tell them that the church is subject to the Scriptures or the individual is subject in terms of, of what we believe and what we do, we are subject to the Scriptures rather than the Scriptures being subservient to the church that you are leaving it open for everyone to have their own interpretations and therefore uh, undermine the consistency of doctrine or, or what is truly Christian, and they would not be accountable. Would you say that would be an accurate assessment? Yeah, that, that's an accurate assessment. I mean, that, uh, that would be the Catholic Church's argument even to this day, is that we are one church, united. Uh, we don't have all these... Uh, different denominations or movements uh, uh, that have been created out of, out, uh, out of the fact that you have given a Bible to every single believer and you have uh, given them the, um, the authority to be able to, um, to, be able to, to just believe whatever they, whatever they interpret from the Bible. Yeah. You know? uh, so that's definitely uh, their, their, their argument. But 
I think if we really look at even the Catholic Church today, uh, you will see a lot of different facets of Catholicism as well. Yeah. So even with that, uh, uh, even with with that security, they're trying to uh, to have that control. They're trying to have uh, of of the scriptures. Uh, you still see. Uh, oh yeah, you, you have charismatic Catholics. Yes, you still see so many different yeah. types of Catholics. So sure, yeah, Catholicism is not. I mean, it's monolithic in one sense, but there are variations that people do have differing views. But let's. But but has that been true though? Has has the fear of the leaders of the Catholic Church at the time of the Reformation that Christianity would deteriorate into individualism, where people felt they weren't responsible or accountable. Has that become a reality? Yeah. Yeah, it has. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it has. That's just real. And, and in safeguarding that, one of the things that came out of the Reformation, uh, and it's, it, it, wasn't, it didn't just begin there, but, but you had clear articulations of faith. And I like the way, and, and uh, these confessions of faith or these articulations of the faith were contained in a number of confessions that came out at the time. Mm -hmm. Confession simply means what we believe. I love the way both, I think, the Westminster and the Baptist 1689 confession begins in their, their uh, prologue, things most surely believed by us. Mm. So, so that we're not just saying anything goes then you unite with the local church or a particular denomination, they have articulated what it is we believe on these various issues. So first, before we talk about specific confessions, somebody talk about what is a confession. And this is something else I think contemporary Christians need to hear a little more clarity on, because when we hear confession, we think of one thing, and that's a booth. So what is meant by <laughs> uh, what, what is yeah. meant by conf a confession? That's, that's all you, man. <laughs> a confession of faith. Yeah, I think it's a. It, obviously, the scriptures are not. We we uh, we read the scriptures, but then we confess mm -hmm. our faith. Mm -hmm. So um, it is, I guess, a summary statement or declarations or um, an organization of the truths that we understand to be true that we draw from Scripture. Okay. So there is a particular formula that mm -hmm. most of the historical confessions follow. Mm -hmm. And in, in other words, if you pick up a confession, whether it's the Augsburg, uh, which was a Lutheran confession, or if it's the Westminster Confession or the Heidelberg, what you'll find is a particular formula. This is what we believe about the, the, the Trinity. This is what we believe about Scripture. This is what we believe about each person of the Trinity. This is what we believe about the church, what we believe. So the chapters of a confession are, are typically broader statements on what we believe about particular doctrines. Would you agree? Yeah. Yes. I would, yes. I would also add that confessions are, because theology is never, even in the New Testament, like the theology has never been conveyed in some vacuum. It always has a context. And so what I'm you have. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. What you, <laughs> what you have in the confessions is the modern day 
context of gospel truth in the midst of the particular errors that are there. And so what happens in every generation, people say, we're saved by grace. Um, and they say, yeah, we say we're saved by grace. And so it's like, well, Catholics say, yeah, well, you don't, you don't, well, no, you know, you don't, because you say grace is this and it's not that. And so confessions become articulations of biblical concepts that have been hijacked to mean everything or nothing. And therefore they, they, they're articulated specifically from the word of God as they would speak against a particular error. Yeah. They, because they, they, they aim to be defining. They are almost intentionally polemical. Yes. And a confession Basically, the word confession, it simply means what we agree. We mm. are in agreement. And which is why I tell people, if you're looking for a church, find out if they have a confession of faith. Because what you're joining, when you're joining a church, you're saying we are in agreement. Mm. And what a confession of faith does is it outlines the articles, uh, the most fundamental articles of the Christian faith. And this is what we agree to as a body. So if you don't agree, then you shouldn't join that church because to join a church is to embrace the confession of that church. Yes. So it is, and, and some of the, uh, the reason I said I'm glad you mentioned that they have to be understood contextually. If you look at some of the language of the original, some of the original uh, confessions, they're very polemical and yeah. they mention specifically um, usually the Roman Catholic Church, whereas the, the Catholic Church or the Pope or um, the Papists hold to this, that, or the other. And some of the language is very severe. And not just the, 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 um, the, the Roman Catholicism. Some of the other um, confessions, they had in, in, in their view uh, the uh, Anabaptists. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so they were refuting certain schools of thought that were dominant at the time when they drafted their confessions. Would you say that, that truth, biblical truth, demands a confession? I would say absolutely, and here's why. Yeah. Because anyone can read the Bible. Right. So the issue, and this is what confessions provide for us, the confession tells us what we believe to be meant right. and intended by yeah. the Scriptures. Right. So the confessions are always subservient to the scriptures. And to go back to the preamble to the Westminster, I mean, to the uh, 1689, these are the things yeah. most surely believed by us as taught in scripture. Yes, I'm trying to think of the biblical warrant. for If we could think biblically through this for a moment, uh, it says that truth is justified by his children. Mm -hmm. Obviously, people there want to go immediately to works and what people do, mm. but, but Jesus says, by their fruits ye shall know them. And he's not talking first and foremost about their works, mm -hmm. but he's talking about their teaching, what they're okay. saying. And, yeah. then it, and then it says, by your words, yeah. you shall be either justified or condemned. Yeah. So Paul says, I believe, therefore I spoke. Yes. Mm -hmm. so, so it is the duty of the church to confess. As a matter of fact, it's impossible not to confess. Yes, right. And that confession will either unite or separate. That's yeah. right. Well, that, it's interesting yeah. you say that because <clears throat> at some point later in Protestant <clears throat> history, particularly the, what they would call the Romantic period, late 18th or, or 19th century, um, where there was an anti-confessionalism hmm. among many churches where they 
No, yeah. That's where you get the, the, the statement, no book but the Bible, no yeah. creed but Christ. Right. But what they did is they opened the door for all sorts of strange yeah. teachings. So what do you have in the early <laughs> or the late 19th, early 20th century? You have the drafting of new yeah. statements of faith, yeah. which were really so thin they didn't define anything and so broad they didn't yeah. keep anything out. We either have the true faithful yet imperfect confession of the true church sure. or we have the musings and the unfaithful and the errors of a false church mm. but everyone has a confession everyone That's has, right. a, everyone confession. has right. a confession well I, I think also even in that question there's something very important about people would say well well confessions are not in the scriptures we have the scriptures but the scriptures have the doctrine of interpretation sure and so within the scriptures, the people say, oh, the words, the words. Well, the words, are, the words tell us that they need to be interpreted and cut straight, right? So, you know, and the, you text, also the text have, of scripture tells me I need to interpret and understand and teach things correctly in light of the fact that there are other, you know, errors and, and many strange things that are going against that. So the doctrine of interpretation of the scriptures, I think, somehow implicitly would say, well, yeah. we need to articulate yeah. what the scriptures mean, you know. But you do, you do have, even if you don't have specific confessions, and, and in you, your there are clear <laughs> creedal statements that are assumed to be believed by the whole body. Paul says, great is the mystery of godliness, that Christ was manifest in the flesh, you know, and, and that he was buried. I mean, that's a creedal statement. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, Paul's statement in um, Philippians, that what we call the, the canonic hymn. I mean, that really is a creedal formula, yeah. that these are elements, and, and by the way, before we actually have the establishment of Protestant confessions of faith, you have, you have a similar trend in, uh, if, even back in the days of Roman Catholicism from the 4th century on, where you have creeds to articulate particular aspects of the faith. Everything from the Athanasian Creed to the formula of Chalcedon. And what they did is they, because there was confusion on a particular issue, the church leaders got together, debated these issues, examined them in Scripture, and then came away with a defining statement, yeah. which was polemical. This is, this is what we believe, yeah. whether it's the Apostles' Creed, whether it's the Athanasian Creed, uh, the Nicene Creed. You know, these are creed, creedal statements that articulate aspects of the faith. It's sort of like, a, like an organized, codified proclamation yes. of sorts. And they are not infallible. Yeah. Right. No. That's a, yes. as, as our preaching is not either. Right. So, uh, yeah, but, they're but, not infallible. Right. Yeah, the way, the way, just to use an, uh, an illustration, and I don't know, you know, all the illustrations are not, they're all imperfect. Obviously, they can made to be, to stand on all legs. But I, I see the confessions as the voice of a good father. Mm. You know, I, I grow up under the influence of my good father, and he's given me his voice. Mm -hmm. And I am integrating that voice as I am growing up. Mm -hmm. But as I grow up and mature, I find my own voice mm -hmm. without leaving behind or negating the voice of the good father. Right. So, but there's now this, this dialogue, this integration from the voice of my good father and me growing up finding my own voice. I think the voice of Scripture, the voice of God in Scripture is the final authority. Absolutely. Well, yeah, the, the confessions that, of the church are aids and helps that lead me in my growth yes. so that I may 
within imperfections and errors mm-hmm. that can, as a voice of a father may also at times you sure. know, not be perfect, but yet it is the faithful, good, guiding hands that helps me. And within some denominations, <sighs> it's the standard that the preachers are held to. Hmm. that you sign a confession, and when they ordain you, what you're saying is, I agree to preach according to the things that are stipulated or confessed by our denomination or our church. It clearly serves a purpose, and and I just want to be clear again, no one is saying that confessions are more important than Scripture. No. What we're saying is that the Bible is not just one book, it's a book that contains many books. And so what what a confession does is it gives you a sense of what this church believes on these critical doctrines. I mean, obviously you can have statements of faith that that may maybe address less critical issues, but what you have historically, they're talking about issues of life and death. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the confessions. What are some of the confessions that come out of the um, uh, Protestant Reformation? And here's an interesting thing, is that most of these confessions are still being used. Some have been modified, but most are still being used by the various denominations today. So let's talk about what are some of the historic confessions. You know, I th- I'm thinking of the, of the Lutheran uh, Augsburg Confession. Okay. You know, 1530. Mm-hmm. And, and it arises out of some sort of a controversy, right? And we yes. know that you have the Lutherans, and then we have Zwingli and Butzer and the incipient Reformed Church arising, and they clash over certain issues, but still trying to find unity. Right. But uh, out of these different uh, uh, views, um, the Oxford Confession um, is uh, uh, arrived at with a very specific doctrinal Mm-hmm. Bends. Okay, so Augsburg within the Lutheran camp, within which, the Lutheran, which camp. was Lutheran, right? Uh, for the Church of England, you had the thirty-nine articles, mm-hmm. uh, and from the thirty-nine articles, you really get the basis of that's fleshed out in greater detail with the Book of Common Prayer. Um, also, you had Heidelberg Confession, mm-hmm. um, the Synod of Dort um, articles, of Dort, yes. The, the, the Belgian Confession, those would be the continental standards, as yes. they're called, right? Yes. Which, but so specifically, yeah. you have in 1647, you have the Westminster Confession. Now, I got to say this as a Baptist, because you have the 1689 Baptist Confession. And if you look there at you those go. confessions, they yeah. almost, they are verbatim. Yeah. But, but here's, yeah, here's an example. Two, <laughs> point, two points yeah. of uh, yeah. major differences, sure. but in the opening on the, on the points of agreement is verbatim. And so some have argued, well, it's because the Baptists stole from the uh, <laughs> Presbyterians, which uh, one thing you could say is, well, if, it, if it's right, then why fix it? If you agree with it, you don't have to tweak it just because you believe it. But, but historically, something you have to understand. In 1644, a group of Baptists got together and Baptists were illegal in England. They actually drafted a confession, but they did not sign it. In 1645 to 46, you had the Westminster Assembly, where they gathered together not just Presbyterian ministers, but also Congregationalists, among whom were some of those who contributed to the original Baptist confession, even before the Westminster was written. You can look it up. B.B. Uh, Warfield has a great um, a, a great um, um, uh, volume on the Westminster Assembly. So there were some Congregationalists and Baptists that contributed to the language of the, of the Westminster Confession. Out of that Westminster Assembly, you had the drafting of the Westminster Confession. 
And I was just thinking along the lines of how we began our discussion, how there you have an example of how confessions are not, you know, um, inerrant and perfect. No, so yeah. there you have the Baptist or whichever way you want to put who was first, um, having a different interpretation mm -hmm. uh, from Scripture and then tweaking their own confession. Right. Yes. Right, so exactly. There, there's an example. And even within Baptists, there might be, you know, some that believe a certain way on the Sabbath and, yes. and the practices of that. Yes. And, and, and so it, it, there, it's not, I think, an over-dogmatic spirit on the confessions yeah. might detract. But they, they from, would help uh, you. If, if, yeah. if this is what you believe about baptism, then read the confessions of the church to mm. see if it lines up with what you believe scriptures to teach on this matter. That's what they do, and that's, sure. that's sure. the purpose that yeah. they serve. Now, one of the derivative effects of the confessions are the catechisms that go along with it. Mm. Usually where there was a confession, there was a catechism. The confession mm. outlines largely what we believe as a church. Everything from the person of, of all the persons of the Godhead, the doctrines of Scripture, salvation, justification, sanctification, election, all of those doctrines are usually articulated. And then, so if that's the overarching statement of what we believe the Scriptures to teach on these matters, then the catechisms are questions derived on the substance contained in the confession. And the catechism is the way of teaching the catechumen were either the children of believers or those who were new to the faith. So it's a good way. So just a mode of instruction. People sometimes yeah. get scared exactly. by this language harkening yeah. back to. I know. So that's just the, the way they instructed uh, you know, new believers. As we have now, their, our course on baptism. Yes. They're being catechized. Yes, exactly. <laughs> They're being instructed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Couldn't help, uh, as I remember that, when Luther saw what Melanchthon had, you know, had put together, with his uh with the confession <laughs> in, in typical luther's fashion he said this this could be would be and this sounds heretical mm -hmm. it's worthy of being included in the canon <laughs> <laughs> well in, in terms of the catechism yeah. though luther drafted the smaller catechism to be incorporated within the liturgy of the church because he says if they at least go through this because the preaching was so bad at the time if they would at least go through this then they would have the gospel mm. uh, because within that smaller catechism you would have the ten commandments you have the lord's yeah. prayer you have an articulation of what the gospel is what faith is what you know who christ is that's the beauty yeah. of these documents. So the yeah. church today would not err by by beginning to use no. some of these documents. No. I mean, no. I mean no. if they were if they were to go back to that, yes. that would be a tremendous well, uh, as one, one step friend, in the right direction. <laughs> a friend of mine says we're always reinventing the wheel and it seldom comes out round. So because we have distanced ourselves from the language of the confessions yeah. and the catechisms. We've created cute, yeah. catchy phrases yeah. that say nothing. We have new confessions. You know, yeah. new. <laughs> you, how, how much do you think the culture of the day, a misinterpretation of, of the priesthood of the believers, ha has been the reason why many churches you know, have done away with, with these um, documents? Wow, that's a good question. Rugged individualism. Yeah, you yes. know, the yeah. Cult of, yeah, the whole idea yeah. of yeah. me and Jesus. Me yeah. and Jesus. Jesus yeah. speaking right. to me today. Me, yeah. me Jesus, you know, and a Bible, and that's all I need. Jesus is my friend. Yeah, Jesus. that's probably a very good insight and, and, and explains yeah. why. Well, anyways, it's been great as always. Um, again, this has been Saints and Sinners Unplugged. Uh, join us again next week. Thank you.